0: Hello, good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of Atlas Information Live. We are glad that you could join us this afternoon, and we hope that uh, today you will find our topic of discussion very practical and meaningful in your own practice. Uh, As you know, often we label these live streams with one of several categories uh, practical series esoteric series mystical series etc and today's definitely falls into the practical category and why is that because at the end of the day the spiritual path is a path of the warrior the hunter the exterminator, for if we really want to be honest about it. An archaeologist who must delve into the depths of our own subconscious mind and find the denizens of our own psychological hell, our own demons, our egos, the monsters, our Medusa, the Minotaur, In the labyrinth of the subconscious mind. These are our egos. And the thing about egos is that many of us, when we hear the words fear, pride, lust, greed, envy, gluttony, laziness, we hear these words and we say, ah, child's play. I can spot pride like this. I can spy no fear like the back of my hand. Oh, everybody knows how what lust feels like. It's obvious. It, it's, it, you know, these. It's like th- this is like a uh, preschool stuff. This is the stuff of born again Christians and Roman Catholics. I mean, Saint Augustine was teaching this stuff, uh, uh, you know, back in the um, in the Middle Ages. Well. We chose as our background today (laughs) something perhaps a little unexpected for uh, a discussion about egos. We chose as our background a uh, lovely group of cephalopods, some uh, uh, cuttlefish, as a matter of fact. Now cephalopods fall into the Cuttlefish fall into that family of cephalopods, but they also include such things as nautilus and octopi. And the reason why we chose these backgrounds is because these creatures are in many ways a... a a incredible, living, breathing example of how we can imagine our own egos. The capacities, the capabilities of the egos which haunt us. For starters, when, when one thinks about an octopus, One, obviously, imagines a very rubbery, soft, flexible creature. There's no backbone. There's no skeleton. It's basically pure muscle. And it also has a very large cranial capacity. It doesn't have a skull, so it doesn't have a cranium as such. But both cuttlefish and octopus and octopi have advanced problem solving intelligence. And a lot of the processing power of their brain, and their nervous system goes toward their physiological transformative capabilities, which are unmatched in the natural world. There is no creature alive that can rival uh, the cephalopod. For its ability to quite literally transform itself. Morph. And that's why we call today's live stream what we called it. And um, hopefully, we're going to show you something, but we're going to show it to you uh, without the sound on. Because hopefully this way we won't get a copyright strike if we keep the sound off. And it's very short, but um, this will just, uh, as an example, you know, here's a diver approaching this, you know, this floaty uh, bit of um, uh, seek help. And look at that. Now, could you honestly say could you honestly say that that uh you were able to s- s- spot it just look at the just look at the transformation here boom we're not talk we're not just talking about a Shift in color, a shift in pigment. <laughs> Cephalopods can change the texture of their of their flesh, of their skin. And this particular octopi, uh, octopus, was able to transform the texture of his skin to blend in perfectly with this sea vegetation. But of course, when the diver gets a little too close, the uh, the creature turns white, and then what? A blast of ink, and he's gone. Now this is also very indicative This is, and the thing about octopi and cephalopods is that they are predators. They're they're carnivorous, they're predators. They prefer crabs. That's their preferred food source. And this is how they hunt with stealth and camouflage. And the ink cloud that they release, that they jettison when they sense themselves in danger, is there to obviously blind and confuse potential predators while they make their escape. All of these tactics are used by egos to avoid detection by us and to feed on us. We are to egos like the unsuspecting crabs are to the cephalopods. They will go and the egos are patient, they are subtle, they will wait, they will morph themselves and camouflage themselves in accordance with whatever psychological environment we are in. And as you are well aware, your psychological environment is very often a reflection of or affected by the environment that we are in at any given point in time, the people who are around us, the circumstances, the time, the place, etc. we might assume a different psychological posture. And depending on that psychological posture that we assume for our external environment, that internal psychological posture has a certain internal psychological environment, reflecting patterns and shapes and frequencies and thoughts and emotions. And it is in that environment that the ego, like the octopus, will find itself a place to nestle in and hide and wait Wait for its opportunity. Wait for its opportunity to um, to uh, to pounce. So where's where this? Uh... Well, anyway, we don't have to make this a a, a live stream about. Octopi. So, and even if we spot an ego as we are doing our self observation in an attempt to escape our comprehension, that ego will morph, will jettison some ink to distract us, to confuse us, to blind us to what's really going on. And then it will find a new hiding spot and morph and change. So that, whereas before we might've been looking for a white octopus, but now we have no idea what we're looking for. The white octopus has vanished. And all we see are red corals and green kelp and just all we see is our internal psychological environment. The, 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 the octopus is gone. And we might and we often do, often fall into a kind of complacency, into a kind of false sense of security and a false sense of accomplishment, achievement, saying, aha! I rid myself of that ego that ego is no more because the white octopus that we were looking for is now gone and we have no idea where to start looking for it and we look everywhere and it doesn't reveal itself so what are what are some examples of this We've included the link here in the chat, if anybody wishes to make a contribution of an example or a case study, or their own personal experience. If you read, at some point, our article on the nature of fear, Fears Many Faces. And if you are in observation of yourself, you know that fear is the great chameleon. Fear is the great octopus. Fear has the capacity to morph and change its appearance and blend itself in to just about any and every situation, and indeed, it does so. And the reason why that is... There's our... uh, There's the article that we're uh, referring to. Face your fears, many faces. Oh, we can just leave it like that. Fear is one of the eg- existential related egos. Whereas lust is there to perpetuate the species, fear is there to protect the individual. And fear is there to control the environment and circumstances. And again, this is a, the best defense is a good offense strategy. It's fear. So no matter where you go, no matter where you are, fear is active. But it is very unlikely that you are aware that fear is active. But it is. It's just that it's camouflaged. It's awaiting the opportunity in which it can strike. It's awaiting the opportunity to make of you it's prey. Just like the octopus. The octopus can lay in wait for hours. It's there, and fear is active. He's hunting. That octopus is hunting in that kelp. He's aware. He's he's waiting for an unsuspecting crab to skittle past. So then. He can strike. Anyone who suffers from anxiety understands this. If you suffer from anxiety, then perhaps 24 hours a day, or certainly at least in your waking hours, in the times that you feel anxious, You just feel anxious. Everything makes you anxious. That's what anxiety is. That's deep subconscious fear. That fear is active. And it's like having an octopus hanging over your head all the time. And, And you're living under its shadow. Most of the time, most people they're not aware of this, because the fear that is active all the time, it's more subtle, and it's not as powerful a demon of fear in most people as it is for those who suffer from anxiety, or insecurity, or any number of what we might call chronic expressions of fear. And by chronic, we just mean ongoing. And there's nothing specific that you can put your finger on saying, this is triggering my fear, or that's triggering my anxiety, or, right, As as is the case with phobias, for example. In those instances, it's much easier to detect what is triggering our fear. But when someone suffers from anxiety, they just suffer from fear, period. But all of us experience this to one degree or another, but that same fear can be active all day and us be completely unaware of it. For example, do you know any control freaks in your life? Are you yourself a bit of a control freak? Do you have an A-type personality? Do you like everything just so? You like things the way you like them? Everything has its place. You like order. You like neatness. Everything has its place. You want those things to be put back in their place. And when they're not in their place, you get, you get frustrated. You get irked. You're very irksome that way when things don't go your way when people don't do things the way they should be done, or at least the way that you would do them, the way that you think they should be done, that is fear. The need to control. The need to have the external environment just so. And when... the environment isn't just so, or when the outcome isn't just so, then that fear goes into vibration. And as we know from Master Yoda, fear turns to anger. The relationship between fear and anger, like the relationship between lust and anger, is is intimate as very strong and we can turn on a dime especially the desire to control and the reason for that is because the in nature in mechanical nature fear is the fight or flight instinct and In a situation where you must fight, then anger, savage rage, is how mechanical nature wants to express, or at least how the egos interpret and want to express in that fight scenario. And that is why, if you're a control freak, and you like things to be a certain way, and they're not in that way, you can become very frustrated very quickly, or even angry very quickly. And the reason why that is, is because That fear is there all the time, behind that need to be in control, behind that need to have things go your way. That's fear. At the ready, active, hunting, just like the octopus, just like the cephalopod, these these masters of camouflage. But as you're going through your day, observing yourself, can you spot them? Do you know that when someone says something or does something or puts something somewhere where it doesn't belong and you become cross with them, you become frustrated, you become angry? do you know that you are being hunted by the demon of fear and at the moment that you get angry and you and if you indulge that anger and you speak to them you tell them hey that's not where that belongs put that in, put that in its right place or you take some other action out of anger in order to attempt to regain control The circumstances and restore the environment to just how you like it. And why do you like your environment that way? Why do you want the outcomes that way? Because that is the comfort and security that fear craves. Remember, fear fears. To the flip side of... So in order for fear to feel safe and secure, it wants a cocoon, it wants a nest, it wants a space in which it doesn't have to be afraid. It wants a space in which it, will, it won't get triggered. And that's why it seeks to control everyone and everything around it in order to create a buffer zone. Remember, the best defense is a good offense. But generally speaking, when we go through life, unless we specifically know this is how fear behaves and how fear morphs from this into that to the other thing on the fly, then it can go undetected. Fear is we say the great chameleon because there are so many um, examples, right? There's, for like, how many different phobias are there? There is are many phobias in the world as there all as there are phenomenon. Really, like everything people, everything from being afraid of open spaces to being afraid of you know spiders, lightning, thunderstorms high places, uh, claustrophobia, I mean you name it, like any condition, any phenomenon, fear can latch onto and exploit. And again, this is that uh, demon blending into that environment in order to hunt in that environment. So a specific triggering event or a specific uh, a fear uh, might have a specific affinity for a certain type of situation so open spaces or fear of other people or fear of heights or stage fright right and so that fear might have an affinity to that particular uh, circumstance, and in that particular circumstance, it might be uniquely powerful and have a uniquely strong grip on us. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that fear isn't around when the object of our phobia doesn't present itself could just be that that fear is just in the subconscious mind it's just waiting for the right circum, the right opportunity to strike but it could also be that that is the same fear that embattles us and as is the cause of our our uh, obsessive compulsive disorder to be in control of everything just so happens that it has a strong affinity to a particular set of circumstances that it then also expresses as a phobia. So it is possible to overcome a phobia, or apparently overcome a phobia, without eliminating the fear that was behind it. Because egos are mysterious entities. And they have, yes, they're mechanical, but they are intelligent and they are clever. They have capacities of consciousness because that is the currency. That is the faculty that enables them. The the consciousness that's bottled up inside of them, they use that. So they are self-aware entities. They're AI entities, they're programming, so fear can only fear. But, as we know, that there's this huge swath which defines fear, including control. So, and the consciousness that's bottled up inside that fear gives it the capacity to be very clever and very subtle indeed even more clever and more subtle and more intelligent than even our problem-solving octopus or our problem-solving cuttlefish who can change their colors and fit into all sorts of different environments. What that means is that just because we seem to have overcome a phobia, it doesn't mean that we've eliminated that ego of fear. It's possible, but there's no guarantee. And the example of this is people who are have a phobia of one thing all of their life, and then they reach some milestone where they are no longer afraid of that thing, and they develop a different phobia. Completely unrelated phobia. But it's another phobia. Whereas before, as children, they could they could play with spiders and everything else, but they were afraid of heights. Now they can go mountain climbing, but if they see a spider, they freak out. Well, what's going on there? It's simple. Fear has found something new to be afraid of. It's found a new f- something new for its phobia program. Because maybe, for through some course of events, you worked really hard to face your phobia, to face your fear of heights, and you got over your fear of heights, but you never comprehended the underlying fear itself. It's like you reprogrammed your mind to find calm and acceptance and relaxation in the face of your fear. And then your fear said, oh, okay, all right, sure, you can have the heights, we don't care. And the next thing you know, you're minding your own business, and then a the big spider comes along, and <gasps> you start freaking out. Or you're in some wide-open space... And you start getting vertigo and you start getting anxious and you start sweating and, and, and breathing heavily and your heart starts palpitating. You have no idea. You've developed an agoraphobia. No, it's simply because that fear has migrated. It has morphed from one phobia to another. But depending on the nature of the demon of fear that you're dealing with, fear can express in other ways as well, not just phobias. What about uh, authorities? What about all those people who spend a great deal of time and energy on social media and on the internet talking about conspiracy theories and talking about Uh, how this group or that group or this global cabal or these elites or those elites and how they're controlling us and how they're doing this and doing that and how they're enslaving us and on 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 it goes. And they're feeding this, this constant stream of anger and frustration and resentment toward this cabal who is, indeed, trying to desperately cling to control of humanity. Fear begets fear. The person who gets angry and frustrated and feels that deeply because of the fact that others are trying to exert control over them. Remember, control is fear. So if you react with anger and frustration, don't tread on me. It's because your fear wants you to be in control. this can morph into another ego, which we call envy, where you might not only fear being enslaved and having control over your life taken away from you, but you are envious of those who have the power to control others and to dominate others. And to have control over others' destiny. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about social justice warriors. We're talking about the woke who desperately want to be in control. And these disaffected, so-called downtrodden, so-called victim groups, victim mentality, these narcissists, there's pride, they are envious of white heterosexual males, for example, whom they judge to be in control of the world, and white heterosexual, white cis males are oppressing everyone, including women and gays and people of color, and on and on it goes. And they have this front, this self-image that they project, which is a very self-righteous image. That's pride. But it's an image of, it's, it's the victim, they use that as fuel to feed their envy because they want to be in the seat of power. They want to call the shots. They want to be dominant. You can see this, if you want to look at this as an example in fairy tale or uh, uh, mythology, modern mythology, you can look at the, the character of Scar from The Lion King, who's weaker than Mufasa. He's not as strong, he can't compete with Mufasa physically, but he thinks himself superior in intelligence and he's more clever and he's more cunning he's going to weasel his way onto the throne by getting rid of the competition who is strong and oppressive now of course The Lion King is based on a Japanese anime called Kimba. That's where the name Simba comes from. Which, of course, is a very loose retelling of Hamlet. So (laughs) uh, we can go back to Hamlet to look at this played out dramatically. But when looking at ourselves, it's important to recognize that egos work together and egos shift and change. So we talked a little bit about um, how a phobia can morph from one to another. Have you ever known someone or do you consider yourself to be a so-called addictive personality? Are you, or do you know someone who is susceptible to addictions? Do you know someone who was an alcoholic, or a drug addict, or an addict of, but an addict, a proper addict of something which we would consider uh, destructive, self destructive, be it gambling or sex addict, drug addict, alcohol, video games, there's, people can essentially become addicted to anything really. Or um, someone who's obsessive compulsive, they might, on the surface, just seem like they're obsessive compulsive about cleaning, about cleanliness, or they have a sort of hypochondria, so they're constantly hand washing and taking showers, and because they're they're worried about germs or whatever it is that's, that's behind that particular behavior. And very often, these conditions, psychological conditions are treated, and perhaps even we have been a part of treating those conditions. And on the surface, we might help an individual stop drinking, stop using drugs, stop playing video games, stop watching pornography, stop whatever destructive behavior, gambling, uh, World of Warcraft, whatever it was that they were, uh, um, uh, or obsessive hand washing. Whatever it was, that was the focus and the obvious problem in their life. But addiction is pride. Now, how is addiction pride? Because all addiction is self-loathing. And self-loathing is shame. And shame, as we know, is the dark underbelly of pride. Because pride doesn't care if we love ourselves too much or we hate ourselves. Pride doesn't care if we are a narcissist or a self-loathing, self-destructive entity. As long as we are self-obsessed We are somehow obsessed with ourselves. So the obsessive, compulsive personal hygiene, the excessive hand washing, the compulsive showering. That's somewhat obsessed. And it could be that that they just constant they just always feel dirty. They can't make themselves clean. That's shame. And so they're addicted to making themselves or trying to make themselves less grotesque And so maybe they're covered head to toe in tattoos. Maybe they spend three or four hours in the gym, body sculpting or bodybuilding. Maybe they have anorexia or bulimia because they have a terrible, what psychologists call, uh, body dysmorphia. Right? They. It doesn't matter how thin they get. They still they still only see the fat. They can be at one percent body fat, but to them, it's like they're a hundred pounds overweight. It's it's shame. And if we focus on the outward symptom. which is the actual addiction or the actual behavior or the body dysmorphia the bulimia the the anorexia the if we really want to get right down to it the gender dysmorphia where i'm not a I'm just not a good woman. Or well, I'm I'm not a real man. I just I, I I'm a terrible man. I'm not a real man. Gender dysmorphia. They look in the mirror. They don't see the gender that they are. They just don't. Just like someone with anorexia looks in the mirror, they don't see a thin person. They don't. They see a fat, obese person. And someone with another expression of body dysmorphia looks in the mirror, and he might be able to bench 400 pounds, and you might be able to see every single sinew and muscle that exists in the human body... When he flexes, you might be, but he looks in the mirror and see, see he sees a thin, scrawny, you know, the weakling who's not good enough. Not good enough. Not good enough. That's pride twisting the truth. None of us are perfect. None of us are perfect. What does that even mean? perfect. But pride says, I have to be perfect. I want to be perfect. And because pride knows that I'm not perfect, well, pride can twist that knife in our side. And according to the law of the pendulum and according to the law of the opposites, well, if you're not perfect, Well, you're one step away from complete and total utter failure. And so, in down down comes, you know, and all of these different outward expressions, they're all on the table. They're all on the table. So, Let's take, for example, the case study of someone who had a good friend, well, met someone and became a good friend of theirs, and they were suffering from a drug addiction. And in the process, they helped them get over their drug addiction. The person stopped using drugs. and they set them up with a place to live and that they helped that person get a job and they have a close friendship and the person the individual who's helping this other individual made a pledge to themselves to to stand by their to stand by the side of this individual and and, and help them help them over and help them get their lives back on track so instead of having a drug addiction now that person has uh, a place to stay a place to live and money and mostly just you know when they're not when they're not at work they have no motivation to really do anything they just spend their time watching tv or watching movies or playing video games or socializing or but they have this companionship of this other individual that they know that they're not deserving of i don't deserve this person. I don't deserve them. And they don't do anything with their life. They're not working on themselves. They have no interest in any sort of self-improvement. They've got a job. They've got a place to live. They've got a friendship now, and they have other acquaintances. And they have a so called hobby, which is probably more of a um, perhaps, uh, maybe, maybe one wouldn't go so far as to call it an addiction, but it's certainly an excessive uh, practice or habit. But they're not on drugs anymore. So, from one standpoint, one would look at an example like that and say, well, that's good. They cured their addiction. They cured their heroin addiction. But the self-loathing didn't go anywhere. You see, self-loathing doesn't care how... You loathe yourself. Really doesn't care. Pride really doesn't care. We knew someone when we met them. They were, they had an eating disorder. They had gone to see people in the past for anorexia. And she she in no way, shape, or form was too thin when we met her. But she, she felt that she was too fat. And this was before we knew what the cause of eating disorders and before we knew the relationship between pride and shame, this individual became our, our uh, romantic partner, our, our, our love interest, our, our Our girlfriend. And I believe that if I could just show her, prove to her, express to her how beautiful she was, and just affirm for her how attractive and how perfectly proportioned she was that i that she could herself start to see herself in that way and it took time and it took i wouldn't say it took much in the way of effort because that's just my natural state is to say that speak the truth i wasn't making anything up Okay, she had uh, from from any objective standpoint, any complete stranger on the street, any modeling agency, right, would look at her and say she could model bikinis or you know women's underwear or whatever, no problem. She was she was she was just in many ways. Perfectly proportioned and very, very attractive. Okay. But she didn't see it when she looked in the mirror. She had a lot of shame and had a lot of self-loathing. And that actually goes back to an incident in her life. Where her mother passed away when she was quite young. And she... Basically, at the age of, what, eight or nine years old, something like that, she basically became the woman of the house. And she was, like, taking care of her dad and her younger brother. And it developed in her this, I'm not I'm not good enough to fill these shoes. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. So then she hit puberty and she, then she eventually became a woman and this I'm not good enough I'm not good enough I'm not good enough her her father remarried so she no longer had to play that role anymore so that that ego of self-loathing of I'm not good enough to you know to be the woman of the house that ego had grown and developed into this into this monster and now she was a she was in her you know she had gone through puberty and she had gone through this physical transformation and there was a new woman in the household where she now no longer had those responsibilities but that ego was active that self-loathing that pride that had been accustomed to self-loathing was there so it found a new way To express itself and that was this body dysmorphia that she had that led to her eating disorder well after months and months and months of being together with her and affirming how beautiful she was and affirming to her how you know in no way shape or form did she need to lose any weight and she became more comfortable with eating and we cooked meals together and, and so on. And, and we, you know, things progressed um, until eventually, you know, we ran into our difficulties with epilepsy and and some other difficulties and challenges. And guess what happened, right? You're not good enough for me. And she broke up. I was suffering from epilepsy. I was I had finished an MBA, but I couldn't find any work. So I was now no longer good enough for her. She was too good for me. She was too good for me. When we met, she wasn't good enough. She wasn't beautiful enough. She was overweight. She was this, she was that. She was shy. She was all these things. And when we broke up, she was too good for me. She, in fact, started seeing one of her uh, uh, professors, a a teaching assistant. And she she went off to do her uh, master's. Uh, Degrees, so she got accepted to um, a uh, uh, yeah uh, postgraduate thing, and and she was just and now she she was just too good for me. I was I wasn't good enough for her. So what happened? Yeah, I helped her get over her body dysmorphia. All right, I helped her with her self esteem. Or did I? That shame simply adapted to the internal psychological environment and emotional environment that I had helped create for her. And that shame flipped back into pride. And with the same intensity and with the with the same rigor and with the same veracity, the voice in her head was now no longer saying, you're not good enough, you're not beautiful enough, you're not thin enough. Now it was saying, you're too beautiful for him. You're too good for him. And when you, she would look at me, he's not good enough. He's not rich enough. He's not successful enough. He's not healthy enough. It's a real practical example, right? And you can see this happening all the time with famous people in Hollywood. Where they have this incredible career, and they're on the cover of magazines, and so on and so forth, and, and they 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 project this incredible air of prowess and self-esteem, and I'm the greatest in the world, I'm the greatest this, or I'm the greatest that, or I'm the greatest whatever, and then there's a hiccup in their career, or, or, or a lot of them are drug addicts, or alcoholics, or secretly you know, bulimic or whatever, like secretly, in private, they suffer incredible anxiety and incredible shame and self-loathing and self-destructive behaviors. And in public, they they project this 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 self-esteem, this 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 you know, larger than life. And they're, and that's that one ego morphing in real time. That narcissism, that pride, in real time. From one to its polar opposite. Do we experience this Or something like this ourselves in our life? Do we chase outwardly symptoms instead of recognizing, analyzing, and comprehending the actual root cause of our suffering? The very notion that there would exist something called psychology that talks about things like body dysmorphia and gender dysmorphia in those specific terms without seemingly having any comprehension of what we're talking about here. Albeit, it's well understood by those who work with addicts, at least those psychologists and professionals that work with uh, people suffering from addictions, at least they have caught on to the fact that it's self-loathing and self. it's ultimately a, a self-destructive uh, behavior behind that addiction. But have they, have they comprehended That shame and that self-loathing is just the dark underbelly of pride, of narcissism. And that really, the narcissist is really just an addict of a different kind. A a so-called positive addict, as opposed to a negative addict. If a if a, a heroin addict hates themselves too much, well a sociopathic narcissist loves themselves too much and what they feed on what they're addicted to is attention and praise and all the rest of it. And they want they want the center of attention and control and everything else because they're the they're the cock of the walk. We're not sure if contemporary psychologists have made that connection. But we need to be able to make that connection. And what's more important, we need to be able to see when and how our egos morph from one to the other to the other and how they morph in their expression in the same way that that octopus looks like a kelp one second, and then two seconds later, it's completely and totally blended into the coral reef and it looks like coral. It's the same octopus, and it's he's doing the same thing. He's hunting, because that's what octopus. That's what octopi do. That's what all teflophods, uh, cuttlefish and octopi. That's what they do. They hunt. They're hunters, they're predators, but they, their way of predation is stealth and camouflage. And, let's not forget, entanglement with their eight, with their eight arms. They they encumber and they entangle their prey, and they bring their prey close into their beak, where they can chomp through the crab's shell and 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 have crab meat i mean that's their that's their preferred food our ego's preferred food is our sexual energy and it's important for us when we observe ourselves to recognize we are the crab, right? We are the food for our egos. Our sexual energy It's and our consciousness, that's what they want. They want to encumber and entangle our consciousness or confuse us and blind us with jets of ink. Or hide from us with their camouflage. So this whole self-observation and meditation on egos, this is, this is not some uh, straightforward kindergarten class uh, study here. That's why I can take years of working on oneself and comprehending one's egos in all 49 levels of the mind. Seven times seven. Seven notes, seven octaves. Because that ego can hide and vibrate in all of those different 49 levels at different frequencies and take on different characteristics, like a different camouflage, if you will, a different a different appearance, a different texture, a different flavor. If you want to use that uh, modality of understanding when you you have a flavor of these things where you know there's a difference between being terrified suddenly and being gripped by fear and there's a big difference between that and going into a place and feeling anxious and having, and having anxiety and feeling like, like a sense of foreboding like something terrible is going to happen But it's just like this sense, this, 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 it's just, you're just like on the edge of your seat and you're walking on eggshells because you just like, you're just waiting for the jump scare. It's a very different, it's a very different ominous feeling than being gripped by fear and panic and terror. Like having a panic attack is different from, from having an anxiety attack. And yet the cause is fear and modern psychology will put people on one set of pills for panic attacks and put them on a different set of pills for anxiety attacks why don't they understand why don't they why can't they comprehend that both of those people are suffering the exact same problem the exact same problem and if you just and if you just feed someone pills for panic attacks in no way shape or form are you getting to the root cause of the problem because that demon that fear can, can go and morph into something else in the exact same way that someone's heroin addiction or someone's body dysmorphia can morph into narcissism and morph into um, uh, excessive pride, excessive uh, self-esteem. And who knows? Maybe I wasn't good enough for her. <laughs> Certainly, I wasn't good for anybody at that time, um, in in a practical sense, and it was for the best that we broke up. But that's that's not really the point of the story. Just the point is to illustrate with a real, with real case studies, with real examples, and and perhaps you have your own examples in your own life, uh, people that you've known, or perhaps your own personal experience, where being an observation of yourself you know that, um, wow, you know, if I, so we're trying to think of, there are times or have been times when or perhaps you know of yourself you know i i shouldn't drink or i can't drink or i can't let myself drink because i know myself and i know that i have an addictive personality and if i were to get into drugs or alcohol i'd freaking kill myself and so you might look at your life and you might you might see some of the behaviors that you have and you might recognize them as like obsessive compulsive, or like I'm addicted to this, or I'm addicted to that. You know, for a time, I meditated obs- obsessive compulsively. If you can believe that. Because I had obsessive, I had a, a obsessive, compulsive personality related to the demon of fear. And so when I found Gnosis and I and I began to study the teachings about egos and everything else and I would set myself to meditate. Um, Yeah, I would meditate obsessive-compulsively. There's no really other way to express it. So it's like I was harnessing the demon to do something that was good for me. This is an interesting but strange contradiction, a strange paradox. But it was because of the way in which that demon operated inside of me to be afraid, and it wanted me to be afraid of it because it was a that was a self that was a a positive feedback loop but in a downward spiral right if fear can get you afraid of being afraid like the demon because remember in me it was like epilepsy and everything else it was it's more than just it's more than just run-of-the-mill fear right it's a full-blown like not everybody has seizures right not everybody suffers from chronic depression or or anxiety or many of the different things that we suffered from in the past, in our life, because of this this entity we live with. So this entity, by expressing fear, said, ah, you know what, I'm going to make him afraid of us. And then I'll, I'll enslave him. And the more afraid he made me of him, the more desperately... And obsessive compulsively, I would practice meditation and pranayama every single day, every morning, two and a half, three hours. I burnt myself out on meditation for a time. I overdid. I overdid it. Like most, like most people who do something obsessive compulsively, I, I went too far. And I guess. The demon thought that wow that's you know that's that's was part of his strategy i guess but i can look to other parts of my life in which i've had obsessive compulsive behaviors related to food and overeating or binging right um related to playing video games and the types of video games that really uh, lend themselves to a kind of obsessive compulsive play, although that's that can describe a lot of games, don't get me wrong. So it's not like anything particularly special about what I played. So I know personally that why it was that uh, in high school and university, Why I never, I just never entertained the notion of doing any substances because I knew that, look, I mean, the worst thing that can happen to me, you know, being addicted to Diablo is I get carpal tunnels, I get carpal tunnel in my hand, right? That's that, you know, or the worst thing that can happen to me by binging on. You know, Doritos or popcorn or whatever the hell it was. Um, you know, I I gain a few pounds, but strangely in me, the the same thing, the fear, right? Because I was seeking comfort foods, right? The carbs, the sugar, right? The comfort food to quell the anxiety, to quench the fear. The reason why I'm not three hundred pounds is because I'm afraid of being 300 pounds and I'm afraid of what other people are gonna think. And I'm afraid of letting my belly fat get out of control and end up looking like my dad or whatever, right? So it's, 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 it's the same fear. Somehow, because this, and somehow that fear was also like keeping things into in control. And that is a very, very dangerous place to be. Because one can go through life this way. Because fear that's a kind of mechanical, malware, self-destructive, so somebody who's like, like that ex-girlfriend we were talking about who had the body dysmorphia, the, right? the anorexia, the eating disorder, and she just was getting thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner, and thinner and that that shame would have ended up in her wasting away into nothingness the people in hollywood who have shame and narcissism oscillating back and forth so that they have the anxiety issues And the self-esteem issues. I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not a good enough actor. I'm not famous enough. I'm, I'm, I'm getting too old. Oh, there's another wrinkle here. I need more Botox. Right. The the, the same thing that's pushing them on that side, but they, they can flip to the other side. That's that then feeds on that other, uh, that anxiety and then it flips over here and says, no, 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 no. It's like, it's like, no, get yourself up. Your get your ass up off the couch and and uh, put that alcohol away and go to the gym. And you got to go pumping iron and go and get yourself a personal trainer and go and you're gonna send you call your agent and and demand that he's gonna get you three parts and so right and so this it's this strange uh, uh, ping pong match or like visualize a cat toying with a mouse, batting a mouse back and forth between his two paws. And we're, and we're the mouse in the middle and our egos are just toying with us. And if I look at my own fear that way and how it's able to, we would go on these cycles on these like ups and downs and ups and downs. And then like, sometimes we were in deep depression and then we would come out of it. And then we are like, you know, king of the world and we're going to do everything and we're going to change everything. And all of a sudden, like for six weeks, we were severely depressed. But then for the next six weeks, we're like, I'm going to take control of my life and I'm going to do this and do this and do this and do this. And then we get all like enthusiastic and get all um, um, uh, gung ho about changing our life and taking the horse by the reins. And, and, and then of course being attached to all these outcomes, which of course don't happen. And then that becomes the fuel and the impetus to slip back into another valley of depression because the outcomes didn't didn't turn out. And depression is deep subconscious rage. And And fear turns to anger. So when the things that we want to have work out don't work out, then the frustration comes, the anger comes. And if that frustration and anger goes into our subconscious mind, then what we become is depressed. We don't even know we're angry. We're just, because all the energy is being sucked out of us. All of this, all of this that we're describing to you from our own direct personal experience is a direct result of ego's ability to morph and change on demand at their own will in accordance with whatever's happening around us and inside of us these egos will will just like the octopus right? it adapts if it's coral, if it's kelp, if it's sand it doesn't matter it's going to blend in in its new hunting ground and it's going to feed wherever it is. If it's in a kelp forest, it's going to look like kelp and move like kelp. And if it's in the, uh, and if it's in the, um, the coral reef, then that's what it looks like. And it's going to have the texture of coral because that's its feeding ground. That's its new hunting ground. And so Whether it's narcissism and shame or uh, control and fear or any number of egos becoming anger or any particular ego expressing itself on the surface in many, many different ways. So you could look at an ego like envy, for example, and the ways in which envy might express themselves, or pride, like the self-righteousness, for example, because a lot of people, especially in this day and age, they go through life with a kind of a chip on their shoulder. Everybody else is uh, evil or wrong or whatever it is, and they're the righteous one. They're the, they're they're the ones who carry the uh, yeah the the uh, the banner of justice. They're on the right side of history. They're on the right side of 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 the political aisle, for example, and so on and so forth. We talked. Uh, now it's been phew, a while, but a while back now, the relationship between fear and lust, namely control and lust, control and desire, and how the dynamic in relationships. Uh, relate. So by the way there's the link on the screen. if anybody wants to come on and make a contribution, you can change the names and you don't have to use specifics or if you want to share your own direct personal experience you're more than welcome to do so that we will we will share with you an experience, um a romantic relationship another one different one this individual was someone we met online and they lived in another in another country and over many months we corresponded and well Let's just say that she said all the right things and we ended up going to Guatemala to, with the full intention of, of, uh, meeting her, determining if there was that chemistry, there was that spark, and that if we were meant to be together. And the reason why we would be willing to do that is because for someone in our position to have a life partner to be able to walk this journey together with, uh, there's a tremendous value to that because it's such a lonely path otherwise but also because of white Tantra, because of sexual alchemy. The ability to be with someone and, and work in the arcane AZF is essential for anyone on the path of the Bodhisattva. It's just, it just, it it just is. But finding someone willing to walk that path and willing to be with someone who is on that path is not easy, right? Because it's a path of suffering and sacrifice for humanity. So clearly that previous girlfriend that we mentioned I, that she was not she was not able comfortable with that path like she was too good for that right so um so really we we were in no small way attracted to the this woman in Guatemala because she was so meek and humble and but she had a warrior spirit. And she took on authority for the sake of the suffering and the sake of the righteous. She had, she was a whistleblower. She had blown the whistle on the hospital where she had worked, which had denied access to health care for a homeless man who died. And she went public because in the United States, it's a law that says even if someone, even if someone can't pay, if someone is, is acutely dying and they need care, it has to be provided to them. And... They didn't provide health care to this person. and he, he died, he froze to death, or whatever it was that, uh, that, that I can't remember the exact details, but I'm pretty sure he froze to death. And um, so she went public. So she was fighting for the little guy, she was fighting for the suffering and she and she had moved to Guatemala and she had done, you know, she worked with the villagers there and the poor there and and it was just, and she was so, you know, she, she had a warrior's spirit. She was very strong in that sense, but she was also very humble, and kind, and gentle, and… and… in the dynamic, in the… the dynamic of attraction, of chemistry, she expressed um, a desire to be submissive let's say we don't want to get into any too many specifics okay let's just say that she preferred to Assume a very submissive and passive role. Some might call it a um, like a traditional. Or or. Um, but it was a very. Um, she wanted a str- she was a, a petite woman, and she wanted a strong. Man. And she wanted to be taken in that sense right she wanted to be dominated in that sense without getting into details of you know we're not talking about any extremes of whips and chains and all that kind of nonsense it was just she simply wanted to um the chemistry was such that she wanted a strong male energy And she was, she was also, she was a strong female energy. She was not a weak woman, but she was passive. She was submissive. She wanted, she wanted to feel that the man that she was with was stronger than her. As strong as she was, she still wanted, she wanted to know that she, she wanted to be safe. In other words, she wanted to be in the arms of someone who would protect her, and who, no matter what happened, no matter how strong she was, she was a petite kind of little woman, and she wanted, you know, that's the way that energy was was um, was attuned, right? And on that basis, on that attraction, um, because I obviously have a very strong, intense masculine presence, right? So, um, even though I try to be very humble and, and in many ways, on certain levels, on a physical level, right? I'm 6'3 and 220 pounds, right? So, I mean, it's, you know, I, <laughs> you know, even though on some levels, like you can say, I'm a gentle giant, like I love little kittens and puppy dogs and ducklings and things, and I'm very gentle to the touch and so on and so forth. But But still on a certain level, there's just an energy that just exudes and, 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 you know, it's like, I can't, I can't, can't not be that way. Right. So why are we, why this, this, uh, the kind of coy preamble? Because when I went down there, she gave me some leftover um, uh, chicken Alfredo with Alfredo sauce. And I got so sick, I got salmonella poisoning from this, uh, this chicken. And um, for 48 hours, I couldn't be more than three meters from the toilet. And again, without getting into too many details, um, if I wasn't sitting on the toilet I was doubled over the toilet. Okay. So it was coming out of me from both ends <laughs> violently for 48 hours. And if you've ever been in a situation like that, you know that when your body is purging itself of a toxin, purging itself of a parasite or in this case it was salmonella, and it's purging itself from both ends, Uh, you know how draining that is. I was completely and totally, utterly drained of energy. Because I couldn't sleep. Like literally every 15, 20 minutes, I had to get up to do one of two things. And So finally, after 48 hours, I, I finally started to feel like, okay, I'm starting to get over this now. And it's a beautiful sunny day. I'm going to go outside and try to get some fresh air and some, maybe maybe some sunshine. So I went out in front of the house and I just sat down on on a bench. And this, uh, this woman, she, she came out and she stripped nude and she started sun tanning completely nude in the garden in front of me. And I, I had absolutely no energy whatsoever. So to me, it was like, I don't know, being in a medical class or an art class or someone and the model had just lied down in the grass. There was absolutely no desire whatsoever to be romantic or in any way, shape or form because I just literally had no energy. I was completely tapped. I was exhausted. And well, it wasn't long before Her meekness and her desire to be dominated and her desire to be submissive flipped, morphed, because now when it became clear to her, when I made it clear to her that, you know what, I I feel terrible, I'm so sorry, you know, I flew down all this way, you know, you were expecting me to come here and we're, you know, and find out and, you know, be romantic with you and everything else. And, and here I am just, I've been a complete, I've been a complete disaster for two days. And now, and now, you know, I just need, I need you to just be a little bit more patient and you know, like when it became clear to her, That she now had the upper hand, that she was in the position of power, that I was the weak one, I was the weaker one. That her demon, that wanted to be controlled, now saw the opportunity to be the dominant one, to be the controlling one. And so it flipped. And, it had fi- and that's when it finally became clear to me that the reason why I had to meet this person and the reason why we attracted one another into our lives is because we shared the same demon of fear and control. And that now she was going to dominate me because I was so weak. There's no way that I could fight back. And her, that normally meek and submissive and, you know, the, the, the part of her that wanted the strong man to come and control and dominate her, because that, that is what made her feel special, now she was going to be the one who's controlling and dominating the circumstances, uh suffice it to say the exchange did not end well and we'll just leave it at that well we we don't need to um get further along in that uh in that story nor tell you the reason why she wanted us to go down there to begin with and why she wanted to have a relationship with us with us uh to begin with but it was all related it was all related and there was so there was a tremendous amount of learning that took place through that that experience learning about myself and my own demon and seeing hers expressing the way it did and morphing flipping right from one moment to the next simply adapting and morphing to the circumstances at hand in order to EXPLOIT the opportunity. Benjamin says, Your allegory earlier about fear as an octopus is excellent. Thank you. My question is, is greed also related to fear and lust? And you said that egos are masters of disguise due to their ability to morph. How to uproot them. First things first. Greed is the desire for more, 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 more. Um, Is it related to fear? It can be, we actually have a, um, here in this article, right, okay. So, as you can see here, the desire for comfort and security, obviously, can be connected to greed. Because greed is a path to comfort and security. And not only that, money is power, right, in the world. So what on the surface may look like greed, it might actually be a front for fear. Because if you can have a bigger house with larger grounds, with taller fences, with private security, right, and a driver and private planes and everything else, right, you have more control over your life and your lifestyle. You can control more of your circumstances and the people who have access to you. You can control the factors, the circumstances related to your comfort and security. That's all fear. But, then there's simply greed. It is its own thing. There are people who are uh, famously who are billionaires, billionaires, and they're driving around in thirty-year-old uh, Buicks, and they live in you know some suburb somewhere. No, no guards, no gates, no fences. Yeah, no Lexus, no Mercedes, no Louis Vuitton. Thing. They buy their they you know, they buy their clothes from Sears or wherever they, you know. They just they don't like nice things. They don't they don't want to be living in the lap of luxury. They don't care about expensive wine because miserliness if you know that word, I'm sure you do, Benjamin, miserliness is greed. Just like pride and shame are the, the two sides of the same coin, greed and miserliness are two sides of the same coin. There are billionaires who famously don't tip or tip 10% or less than that. So it's just the love of money, greed, the love of of Things of stuff. It, it can relate to fear, certainly, because if that money gives somebody a sense of comfort and security, and the attachment to one's material wealth, it's like the attachment that somebody might have to a pet or to a stuffed animal or like a security blanket, as a child. That security blanket doesn't actually offer any security. But it just gives that comfort, right? That warm, cozy feeling. That's like, that's kind of sentimentality. The problem is that people who are greedy, it's never enough. It's never enough. They always need more and more and more and more and more, and they can be. And this is true for all forms of wealth. And desire for wealth. Yeah, it 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 morphs into miserliness. So one minute, somebody's counting their billions, and the next minute, they're. uh, Yeah, not leaving a tip or leaving like, a couple bucks. A uh, tip in a restaurant, but the but greed can be for other things. So, for example, greed applied to food we call gluttony. The difference is though that the gluttons really do love food. They love eating food and enjoying eating food so greedy people do not necessarily enjoy their wealth they just enjoy the fact that they're they have it if that's because you can't eat money right <laughs> and if you and if you want to really enjoy your money you have to spend it And truly greedy people hate spending their own money. They like spending other people's money. But what they like even more than spending other people's money is figuring out how to make other people's money their money. (laughs) So, he followed up with another question Benjamin did. Also, are the Japanese Super Sentai series like Power Rangers symbolize egos morphing? Um, you know what? Honestly, I just like the sound of the title, "Mighty Morphing Power Egos." Uh, I don't equate in any way, shape, or form. I never watched the Power Rangers. I'm not familiar with the Super Sentai series. <laughs> I'm not, you know, I, I I I guess I watched Voltron as a kid, and I watched uh. G-force, right? Uh, as a kid, and they, they also had um, morphing capabilities, right? They could turn into the fiery phoenix. Uh, though, I don't think any of that represents egos. I just liked the sound of mighty morphin' power egos because they have superhuman strength and they're all different colors. And I know that they like morphing is part of their shtick, right? So I just thought it was a catchy title. So no, there's no. There's no significant um, uh, esoteric um, significance to that. Oh, Benjamin said he liked Voltron and Gforce too. yeah. Um, no, if, um, if anything, the better esoteric expression in modern um, science fiction and fantasy is uh, is the matrix because uh, the agents, the agents represent the egos well of course all the ai the ai represent the egos but in the matrix the ai can morph you know how the the agents can turn into anybody and anybody any npcs in the matrix they like on a dime they can just they they morph and they they become an agent so agents have this capacity um in the matrix to uh to to morph into different, uh, phenomena. So I guess that would be the closest thing I can think of. Um, well, there are other, there are other fantasy books and so on. There are, you know, wizards and sorcerers who can change their appearance and, and who can, um, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, right? Dracula himself can change his appearance and he can appear as a werewolf or he can appear as a a beast of the night or or and he can walk like in london during the day and he can make himself look youthful again and and all these things so um shape-shifting um oh we talked about well did we talk about this we just made a meme about it about um gosh what's what do you call it? Uh, s- uh, brain is so terrible for remembering things. We we made a. Uh, we were talking about werewolves, lycanthropy. Lycanthropy, lycanthropy, right? Right. So lycanthropy is, um, but that's specific to morphing into an animal. So werewolves and werebears are examples of uh, lycanthropy. And that's right, it's, lycanthropy literally comes from the Greek lykos, meaning wolf, and anthropos, meaning man, so wolf-man. But the werewolf and the werebear, so the the lycanthropy is analogous and allegorical to uh, Sagittarius and the centaur, the half-man, half-beast. And of course, that the half man, half-beast, what makes us half man, half-beast, or the Hasnamusin, right, which we, we covered when talking about Hasnamusin, um that lycanthropy, what what gets us stuck or locked into the half-man, half-beast, or demi-human state are egos. So the egos are responsible for that morphing uh, from the man into the werewolf, and that happens during the full moon. And the moon commands and controls mechanical nature. And the egos belong to mechanical nature, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So all of those things are connected. Um, so we thinking about morphing creatures and morphing monsters and so on and so forth. Um, another thing that uh, comes to mind is if you've ever seen the or read the comic book, or seen the movie called The Watchman. Uh, Rorschach has a mask. And he's called Rorschach because his mask is constantly, it's like a Rorschach test. And his mask is always changing, right? So, number one, the Rorschach test is used by psychologists and psychiatrists to evaluate uh, mental illness. Or mental wellness, depending on how you look at it. But the second thing is when you think of someone being two-faced, or someone who can change their face, change their appearance constantly. So they really, so they're they're not, they're not only two-faced, they're 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 infinitely faced, they're constantly morphing their face. So you can never nail them down, you can never lock them down who they really are. And that's Rorschach, and he's by far the most dogmatic and fanatical uh, of the uh, of the the dark superheroes of of the Watchmen. So there's no real connection between his mask. And any situation that he's in. But. When he loses his mask. He panics. His mask's ability to morph. Into all these different. uh, Shapes and patterns. That he calls that his face. Where's my face? Where's my face? Because that's his face. It's just constantly shifting. Whatever right. So he wears. This. That's like for him it's like it's it's all his alter ego. like his Batman mask, uh, cowl, right, his costume. And that is very much the morphing nature of ego is that to adapt in order to feed but also to adapt and morph in order to throw us off and keep us all keep us all ignorant of its true nature of the true nature of those particular egos There are probably more examples and case studies that we could give, but those are the ones that uh, came to mind, um, the ones that we have um, direct experience with. We think that uh, it's probably best um, that uh, we just open it up to questions or comments or if anybody wants to say anything or share something or ask a question, then um, we think we've pretty much illustrated that self-observation and analyzing egos and, and meditating on egos uh, is, there's more to it. we're going to see if, uh, here. Okay. Um, remember, remember the cephalopods, look at this transformation here, right? These are, these are predators. These are not, (laughs) these are not hapless, helpless creatures. Okay. These are, these are predators. They're hunters. And, um, And so as, if you think of yourself as a kind of predator and your favorite food is octopus, right? recognize that what you are hunting, egos, are as perfectly adapted to morphing and transformation as what you witness right here in front of your eyes. This is a, a close-up of their, uh, their cells, their skin cells, and their ability to, to alter their pigments in real time. And just, again, realize that you are looking at a physical phenomenon here. Right? If this is possible <laughs> on the physical level, Imagine what an entity, what adaptations and alterations an entity can do on the metaphysical plane, which, well, you know what, on that note, someone asked us, uh, recently, how can, uh, um, she sees so much information on the internet about, um, uh, people claiming to be um g- uh channeling uh information from their so-called spirit guides and and archangels and and whatnot and so forth and uh you know we informed her that uh, spiritism is uh black magic and uh, now we're looking at a cuttlefish by the way so watch this cuttlefish change and uh, its ability to—that's uh, that cuttlefish—is doing that in real time to confuse its uh, its predators. Now here it's going and um, finding a place to nestle in and and um, make itself at home. Whoops. Okay, we're going to get to a good. So watch this. Okay, there's your ego right there. That's an ego. Let's replay that. So there it is, just a rock, right? Just a just a plant. Right, that's how that that's how egos work. And so let's not kid ourselves and let's not be naive and If you can imagine um, not a cuttlefish (laughs) pretending to be a plant, but imagine an ego, a demon, pretending to be an angel, pretending to be a spirit guide, pretending to be some other resplendent being of light. And this fish, is just some poor naive new age person who desperately wants to have an experience and who desperately wants to be a messenger of the gods and who desperately wants to be to, to be able to impress their friends and their conscious community and so on and so forth and they wanted to be and they want to um, be able to be a spiritual influencer on TikTok or Facebook or YouTube And they want to be able to make videos in which they channel all this beautiful wisdom as they, you know, light their candles and burn their incense and talk to their crystals and everything else, right? It's a stupid, naive fish. Swimming around is completely taken in by a cuttlefish, a predator that's not there for the fish's benefit. There to eat the fish. That's what demons do. That's what demons are. So of course, they're going to pretend and make themselves out to be this, that, or the other thing. And look, even we can't spot, you know, a cuttlefish against the against the rock or against you know against the kelp, right? You think that we can spot a demon who's pretending to be an angel? Think again. Because remember, if it's that easy for something on the physical plane to transform itself like that, just imagine how much easier it is on the metaphysical plane, where there are fewer laws, there's no physical matter that needs to be changed altered, just a powerful enough demon can can, can morph into just about anything and, and convince just about anyone of anything Benjamin says wow, that's amazing, maybe technology would have a hard time imitating that camouflage method It's uh, there's no technology that could I mean even if even if because we have screens and we have flexible screens but even if technologically we could cover something with lcd screens like supposedly there are fighter jets stealth jets and stealth bombers now in the world where the bottom of the jet the entire bottom of the jet is a is a wafer thin lcd screen so when it's flying it can actually project clouds so when it's so it's flying in front of clouds it can it can reproduce the clouds on the under, underside of the plane Um, but there's no technology that we have that can actually morph the surface of something to change its texture right because that's the really i mean changing color is one thing right that's all you know all the cells with their pigments and everything else that's that's one thing, but to be able to change the texture of something and the, to change the surface of something, that's a level of, that's a level of sophistication that, uh, uh, technology is, is all but incapable of doing like the technology that we have anyway. Um, that, but that's what obviously biology is able to do. And that's what the, uh, the, uh, the cephalopods, uh, demonstrate dokia has sent us a link and uh if only we could uh... well there's no way for us to just click on it so we'll have to um okay we're gonna do it this way wikipedia and pre list okay Prelist. All right. We have to share this tab instead. There it is. Prelist. Uh, From Russian, itself from Russian. Okay. Charm, seduction, cajolery. Okay. Wandering, astray, fallacy, also known as spiritual delusion, spiritual deception, or spiritual illusion is an Eastern Orthodox Christian term referring to a false spiritual state or a spiritual illness. Okay, thanks for sharing. I did not know that that term existed, so that's new to me. All right. Uh, Benjamin says, that scene reminds me of this advice from the Bible. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Yeah, absolutely. And that's another good, you know what, lion, okay, you know, that's, lion is lion, and lions, like all cats, use stealth, because on the, you know, on the Serengeti plane, that's, but think of a tiger, and think of a tiger, the tiger's stripes, or a jaguar, and the jaguar's patterns, and all cats use stealth, and cunning, to hunt their prey and so again just as benjamin says here this quote from the bible right the enemy the adversary prowls around looking to devour us the only thing that we want to you know wanted to emphasize is that let us not be complacent and let us not fall into the trap that just because, for example, again, going back to either the girlfriend with the eating disorder, who then switches to becoming a narcissist, at first she wasn't good enough, but now she's too good, to the other woman who, who was uh, wanted to be submissive and passive, to flipping and wanting to be dominant and in control. From wanting to be controlled to wanting to be dominant and be in control. And just flipped on a dime. Why? Because the circumstances had changed, the dynamic had changed, the energy had changed. Whereas when I was strong and that's what she wanted, she wanted to be dominated. But as soon as I was weak, then I was drained. And she had the upper hand. Well, then, boom, she was going to dominate, and she was going to take advantage and exploit me in my weakened condition. And so, or the, uh, or the, right, or the fellow who, just because he overcame his heroin addiction, does not mean he overcame the ego, which was behind his addiction. That shame and that narcissism, right? So, knowing this, we have to be able to see modern psychology for what it is, which is a colossal failure. It's a shell game. It's robbing Peter to pay Paul. Just because a counselor or somebody helps you get over a phobia does not mean you are healing. It does not mean that you are overcoming your ego. It's not. There's only one way to overcome an ego and that is to comprehend it. And comprehending a phobia is not about comprehending the phobia. It's about comprehending the fear that is the root foundation of the phobia. And you know and again, look to all the different examples in your own life, in the people in your life but also famous people. Famous people who seem to have the world going, the world was their oyster, but then what do they do, right? They put a gun to their head. Because so many of them have have tragically taken their own lives. They were, you know, so let us let us really meditate on this and take this to heart as we observe ourselves as we analyze ourselves as we meditate on our egos and comprehend all the different forms that they can take and how they morph and how they switch and when do they switch this is all part of the comprehension Process and that is why we have to observe ourselves all the time, because you only really get to see this and know this either when the switching takes place or you have to when you really feel into the energy of its new form. Because that's the one thing. Once you become familiar with the the energy, the flavor, the, the 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 feel the vibe of an ego it can change its form but that vibe the vibration the 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 energy is it exudes it's going to be on the same frequency so to put that in perspective if someone's being passive they might be being passive-aggressive. And when they flip on a dime to aggressive, now they're being actively aggressive. So the intensity has been turned up because it's gone from passive to active, but the energetic signature of the aggression is still there. We found this out again, the hard way through, again, another woman, another relationship that she was a master manipulator and a master being passive aggressive. And she was able to torture, torture us by exploiting our fear through a passive aggressive means it was the most she was she basically she brought us to our knees in fact like just being able to manipulate and twist energy and she and she could do it with a smile without raising her voice but just she could just it was an it was unbelievable um like But knowing that, experiencing that, being able to recognize. Again, demons very rarely present themselves to us as demons. They present to us, themselves to us as, as our friends. Right? With a smile. And then meanwhile, under the table, they're sucking the life out of us. Or they're sticking a knife in our side and twisting it. Or they're exploiting whatever weakness we have. And especially if we've attracted somebody at the same vibrational frequency as us, they share the same demons we have. They share the same egos we have. And their egos are going to be triggering our egos. So pay attention to that. Then pay attention to when a shift takes place in them, because that's a real risk that... The same shift is going to take place in you, only the opposite way. And all of these dynamics, we have to become aware of this. That that old cliche of the puppet master, right? Holding the strings, playing with the marionettes, and controlling the marionettes on the stage, right? We're the marionettes. And egos love drama. The more drama they can make, the more energy they siphon and they feed on, right? Because the more angry we we become, the more afraid we become, the more incensed, frustrated, what have you. And that's why they'll keep bashing us into each other like a kid playing with their G.I. Joes, smashing their G.I. Joes together, right, to create the drama, to create the story. That's what the egos are doing to us. And they can morph that story. They can morph that narrative any which way, shape, or form. They don't care. They might be attached to a particular narrative, to a particular story. But when push comes to shove, if they have to abandon that narrative and assume a new narrative, they'll do it. Especially if the new narrative is, has that much or more potential to siphon and drain energy from their victim. We um, awakened reflection says, "How to overcome fear?" Then I don't feel capable of overcoming fear. I've been hunting the root cause for a long time now. After Divine Mother showed that it was what I w- what I'm supposed to do. I'm not scared of it anymore, but it still lurks, and I can't pinpoint. Is it just that I need more time? You just need to keep observing it. And meditate. So observing it is one thing, but you need to spend the time in meditation meditating on what you observed. And just playing it out over and over in your head without indulging the fear. But recognize that fear, uh, fear and lust, are the two greatest egos, the two most powerful egos that we have, and the two most difficult egos there are to overcome. Because fear of death is what holds us back on the path. So when you meditate on fear, when you experience fear during the day, you say to yourself, okay, that was fear and you hopefully are, were observing what was happening in your mind in your heart and your body in the in the environment around you, what triggered it, what caused it, you, later that night, you'll go into meditation and you will use that information that you gathered in the moment and just focus on, okay, what was the trigger? What was the cause? How is fear making me afraid? And it's not a mental process that you do, it's a conscious one, just observing and replaying in your mind the events without feeling the fear all over again, because you don't have to relive the experience. You, you reobserve the experience. And you must be patient and, and don't expect to get an answer. Don't expect to figure it out. Because if you go into meditation with expectations, you'll get nothing out of it. If you go into meditation looking for the answer, it'll never come to you. Why? Because you're too busy looking. You need to just relax and allow and allow. And relax. Concentrate, visualize, and pray. You can ask. You can ask for help. You can ask for the answer. You can ask for the guidance. Um, But patience is a virtue. The thing that you, we also have to do is face our fear. And so if you are able to awaken in the astral plane, if you're able to do dream yoga and travel in the astral plane, ask to see your fear. First, ask to see your Divine Mother. Ask for your weapons, your sword. And make sure that You have practiced um, and studied this course, which is the uh, Defense for Spiritual Warfare. We just put the link in the chat. Oh, and you say yes. You have studied that, so that's good. Well, then you know you have some, you have some uh, defense. But if you go into the astral plane, you can ask to see your divine mother and ask her. You know, you can ask for your sword, ask for your weapons. Draw a circle of protection, right? With a circle of protection of fire, draw it with your sword in the astral plane, and then ask to be shown the demon of fear that is haunting you and see it for what it is. He might not show up because, or he might try to ambush you. He might try to attack you from behind, which is why you want a circle of protection and be standing in a circle of protection before you try to invoke that demon. Because remember, fear is afraid. Fear is a coward. Fear is never going to face you mono imano. And fear is elusive. Like hopefully, if nothing else at the end of this uh, at the end of this talk, we can all recognize what's what's true for all cephalopods and what's true for all parasites and what's true for all egos is 10 times more appropriate and more true for fear because fear is fear <laughs> like well, there's no other way to say it it is afraid so it is it is the one ego which is which so likes to remain hidden and yeah it sticks its neck out it sticks its head up in moments of panic attacks and and all sorts, you know, and grip, but only when he can grip us with terror, right? And grip us with fear. That's when we, ooh, we really know fear, right? That's the only time when he can ambush us, right? Like just like, just like that uh, cuttlefish, right? You can't see it, you can't see it, you can't see it, you can't see it. Boom! It's all over. Right? The cuttlefish only reveals itself to be a cuttlefish when it strikes. Right, that's a coward. That's a that's a that's a a predator. But it's but that's a cowardly behavior, right? That's 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 attack from stealth. That's like a ninja, or like any other assassin, right? Or a terrorist. You have no idea what's going on. Everybody's just having a lovely day, just a typical day in the downtown. Everybody's sitting in cafes and the taxis, and everything's going around. All of a sudden, boom, car bomb explosion 100 people dead it's all over in a split second nobody nobody saw it coming nobody saw it going you never even saw who the perpetrators were that's fear so be kind to yourself don't be so hard on yourself you are hunting a master of disguise a master of evasion a master of camouflage Awakened Reflection says, yes, it does remain hidden. That's why I've been hunting it for so long now. It always frightens me, then hides when uh, when I realize it is pulling my energy again. Exactly what you're saying, yeah. But the more you become conscious of this, the more aware you become of this, the more, sooner or later, you're going to realize that your consciousness is Faster than your fear. And your consciousness can penetrate through the disguise. The more you meditate, the more you cultivate discernment, the more you work on your intuition, the more you're able to open yourself up to the energetic vibrations of fear, and the more you know its ways, and the more you comprehend what it's doing and how it does it the more you say okay you got me again got me again got me again got me again but the fact of the matter is if it keeps getting you the same way that pattern over and over and over and over again that pattern is the key to your comprehension of it that pattern that repeated way is the doorway into comprehension of it it's like it's like the pink panther right well it's okay you you know what i mean the uh, the the phantom the phantom is the jewel thief in the pink panther series right but the jewel thief he has his tricks he has his tactics he has his he has his um his idiosyncrasies his signature way in which he cracks the safe the signature way in which he overcomes the building security how he slips past the cameras right there's he there's a pattern there's a there's a way in which The cat burglar does his thing. So, every time, every time he he steals, every time he does another job, he leaves more clues, he leaves more more evidence, he leaves more of that signature behind. Those telltale signs. And this is what a good detective hones in on. These telltale signature patterns and signs and methods and process and then and then you can be lying in wait now and you can be waiting or you can set him up and if you're observing you're observing and ah now i caught you in the act and you transform that fear because you know you know he's gonna strike you know how he strikes you know when he strikes so be ready and then when he strikes boom you intercept with your consciousness up ah! There's my fear. He was going to try to get me. And boom, I transformed, I transformed it into something else. And all of this requires time and patience and meditation. And again, you don't do this. Your innermost does this your consciousness is what needs to work here not your mind your mind is never going to figure it out your mind is too slow the mind is too slow the heart is 10,000 times faster than the mind and the body is 10,000 times faster than the heart, than the heart or we go, we go. we probably have the numbers wrong on that but anyway no, but the but the the uh, no the mind is uh, a factor of 10,000 times faster uh, sorry, the heart is 10,000 times faster than the mind and then the body is a thousand times faster than the heart. So that's a hundred times faster than a the, the hundred thousand times faster than the mind. If you got that right, the motor instinctive sexual center. So and your consciousness is faster than all of that because all of that is actually exists in consciousness. Because you can be aware of what your body is doing before your body does it. And exactly in the same moment your body is doing it. So the consciousness, ha- your consciousness has to be faster. And you know that your heart is faster than your mind. Because if somebody's ever told you that your dog died or your or, or your a loved one has died, a family member has died, where do you feel it first? Boom. In your gut. Yeah, that's right. Your mind is never going to your mind is never going to understand, is never going to figure out your fear because your mind is fear. Your fear does control your mind. Right? That's why we have to master our mind. We can't work with the mind. We have to work with consciousness. If we work with the mind, we're just robbing Peter to pay Paul. And right, you have to observe your mind, observe your heart, observe your body, observe all three of your brains because the fear is functioning in all three. And you, it might prefer the mind, but that's probably because you've been indulging it there for too long. We got to scroll back and get a couple uh, comments here. Um, Benjamin said, "Their egos have taken possession of their mind. Is the mind the domain of the ego? It doesn't exist in the spiritual dimension, right? Uh, no, it does. The mind is the uh, uh, the, fi- the fifth dimension." Um, mind is part of the astral plane or the mind makes up part of the astral plane but the rational mind is very much associated with the brain so the um the relationship between mind and brain and mind and body is obviously very intimate because we have a mental body the the mental like our nervous system goes throughout the entire body and um yeah, the egos take possession of our mind. So most of our thoughts, not all, but most of our thoughts are the product of ego. And the ability to develop discernment is what we need to do to be able to discern whether a thought is coming from our higher self or coming from ego. So in answer to this question, it doesn't exist in the spiritual dimension. It, it, the mind in us, because our mind is lunar, Our mind exists in the infernal dimensions, right? We have a lunar mental body and we have a lunar astral body. So our emotions and our, our mind is overrun with egos. And that's what makes them lunar, makes them mechanical, makes them automatic, right? Your mind automatically reacts to things, whether you want it to or not. Just like you emotionally automatically react to things, whether you want to or not. So, the goal is to eliminate the egos, comprehend and eliminate the egos, and create the solar mental body, and the solar astral body. And we do that through a combination of self-observation, self-remembering, meditation, and sexual alchemy, or White Tantra. Uh, Pranayama, but mostly mostly sexual alchemy, because we have to create the solar bodies. That's the process of transmuting the lead of ego into the gold of the human soul. That's the process of being born of the waters and the Spirit, to die on the cross of sexuality and be born of the waters and the Spirit, to be reborn. That's why Jesus said, if anybody would be with me, they must take up their cross and follow me. Don't do as I say, do as I do. And that is a process of psychological death and rebirth. And the the rebirth takes place in the fires and waters of sexuality. That's the the creation of the solar body. So, Another way you can think about that is if your mind is filled with parasites, then it's, it's, you need the cleansing waters and fires to wash away the egos. And with those same waters and the same fires, you have the torches and the candlelight and the baptismal font of the renewed temple. So Jesus ejects the moneylenders from the temple with his fiery passion, with the fire of the Christ. He ejects them. In the same way that Moses puts his staff and he calls to God and he says, through the staff, do what you will. And, And he parts the Red Sea. But then when Pharaoh tries to go through the Red Sea, Pharaoh is the ego. And then God, through Moses, washes away all of Egypt, all of Pharaoh and his armies by collapsing in the Red Sea on them. And it's the Red Sea, right? So that's significant because red is the color of fire, but it's also the color of blood. And so the waters that we are working with there are the sexual waters, right? The the, the waters relate to the blood. Prana, sexual energy, is in the blood. So, the sexual waters, we have to part the seas and we go through the middle, the razor's edge. But then the ego comes and we can wash away the ego with those same waters and those same fires. Dokia Sophia says that's a great tip to deal with the ego, knowing its vibe, and never tackle an ego openly. The way of the sly man, as Gurdjieff would call it, and finding ways to swim to the surface from the depth where the ego's trying to drag drag and drown the eye. Writing this while battling demons and fears, so I'm not claiming all conquering qualities. Actually, God will help us all. So... Um, the, the point... To take away here from uh, Dokia's comment is uh, what she said here, what Gurdjieff said, the way of the sly man. Um, Sherlock Holmes was famous for his ability to perceive. Sherlock Holmes' superpower is in his perception, his awareness, his ability. And if you watch the BBC version of Sherlock with Benjamin Cumberbatch, when he walks into a room, does it not like Everything like reveals itself to him when he comes into the room. If I rem- if I recall correctly, how that show worked. Um, we have to be like that, like a detective, who's open and aware and and receptive. To receive the facts that that are presenting themselves to us. So when our egos are acting without us, we're and we're observing our three brains. We're watching how that ego is behaving through us, through our behaviors. Our behaviors are just the surface. So we have to look into those behaviors and through those behaviors, to the foundation, to the heart of those behaviors. And therein we will see the ego and and how the ego is pulling our strings. And it is very much like Sherlock Holmes or like any other detective who is observing the scene of a scene of a, The crime and yeah in all of those true crime stories really it's always a case of who is more clever who is more sly right the detective or the criminal and that's really another way to look at it we must we can't be a bumbling Inspector Clouseau. We just can't. We can't afford to be a bumbling Inspector Clouseau. Because our egos are not that. Our egos are sly. Our egos are clever, and they are subtle, and they are insidious. They are like Emperor Palpatine from Star Wars, whose real name is Darth Sidious. So yes. Yes, be sly, be be perceptive, be and, and relax. Relax. The adversary will make a mistake. The adversary will slip up in time, in time as you collect evidence. You will build your case against that ego. <clears throat> and as we have and as we have uh, told you before in the past <clears throat> there's a meditation you can perform where you put that ego on trial and you can convict that ego of the crime and and that's why that like any prosecuting attorney like any detective, you have to do your detective work. You have to build a case against the ego, just like a real detective would. All right. So uh, Awaken says, uh, thank you. Uh, very helpful. I think we read that. And then Benjamin says, yes, there's a book called The Red Sea. Is the, he, there's a book called The Red Sea is Your Blood. Thank you for that explanation. Okay. Uh, all right, then. Let's uh, open it up to any other additional questions or comments. Um, again, our goal today was to share with you some real experiences in case studies. And, and not, you know, crazy outlandish you know, off the wall things that nobody can relate to, but, but uh, common everyday challenges that, that many of us face. And we didn't mention, we didn't even mention pride and mystic pride. You know, that's that's one of the things that many of us suffer from on the path. And mystic pride is pride, but it's a unique version of pride. It has a unique flavor related to the spiritual path. When, for example, we have some kind of an awakening experience, and we start believing that we're awake, that we're enlightened, that we're a Buddha, that we're a master, that we're a God already. And you can see this expressed all over the New Age and all over New Age bookstores and everything else. And it's because people want to be spiritual. People want to be Buddhas. People want to be this and want to be that and want to be this, that, the other thing. But that's all ego. That's all mystic pride. That's, that's, Pride and ego and the the self-esteem that the aspirant is trying to boost, is trying to prop themselves up using the path as a means to do that. <coughs> <clears throat> like what can be, what can give someone uh, a greater sense of self-importance than to be able to say, "Oh, I'm a, I'm a spiritual person. I'm a Buddha. I'm a this. I'm a that. I'm the other thing." Or the archangel so and so chose me to be their channeler, and to channel their message of love to the world. This is how demons dupe naive people into uh, into uh, falling for their their trap, and for agreeing to 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 be their channeler and that's and and fall into the crime of spiritism why because they want to be exploited they want to be the face and the name and that they want to go on the speaking tours they want to have followers they want to have millions of dollars they want to be the one they go to their new age conventions they want everybody to be fawning all over them they don't want to die they don't want to die psychologically No, 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 no. They want to have their cake and eat it too. That's mystic pride. That's mystic pride. Any other questions? Anything at all? Anybody have anything to add or ask? Because... uh... Benjamin adds Most of the religious leaders I know have that mystic pride exactly as you have described. Yeah, exactly. Well, I know. It's a You you, know, you you guys know like right we don't make this stuff up. <laughs> That's right? You guys know you 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 can you've seen it all. You can see it for yourself, right? We're just we're just our job is just basically to point point things out. And we hope the more you guys show up and the more you guys uh, listen and read and explore and do your own work on yourselves, and the more <clears throat> aware and awake you become as to the nature of the world and everything else, the more you showing up and listening to us will just be a case of you sitting on the other end going, yep, yep, I know that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I see that. Yep. hmm Right? That's... But it's a lonely path, um, and so sometimes it's good to hear it from another person. Because sometimes if, if we've come to these realizations on our own, if we don't have a very uh, well developed uh, level of discernment, or even if we do, and you know the people around us in our life, the sort of the normies look at us like we're crazy. Uh, sometimes it's helpful to have a little community, have a little group, or we can go to where. We can hear someone speaking, or we can hear other people sharing, and we realize, okay, good. I'm not crazy. Good. I'm not the only one. And and there is method to the madness. And 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 certainly, you know, when we share with you case studies and experiences from our own uh, from our own personal history, uh, we do so. Simply in the hopes that you'll be able to learn from it or, or you'll be able to see saying, wow, you know, you know, I used to be ashamed of this relationship or that experience or what I did with this person, what that person did to me and blah, blah, blah. But wow, you know. At least I wasn't in a situation where I was I was dating someone possessed by a demon, right? Like, you know, like, like, if there's if if there's something you can get out of it and realize, okay, you're not alone, you're not crazy, you're not the only one, and you're just going through what you need to go through, and you had just had the experience you needed to need you needed to have in order for you to be able to see and experience what you needed to know. We share our experiences. And case studies and examples and so on with you for that purpose. So you're not alone, and your egos, your fear, your anxiety, your um, uh, pride, your lust, your greed, your gluttony, your laziness, you are not alone, right? And what just what comes to my mind right now? Laziness. How many people do you know? And are you one of these people who can never find time to meditate or to practice or to study because you're too busy? Oh, I can't meditate right now. I'm too busy. I have too many things to do. I have all this stuff to do. I have to get this done and this done and this done and this done and this done. Did you know that that kind of busyness is uh, laziness? That's the ego of laziness. That doesn't feel like laziness, does it? And boy oh boy, your mind does not want to accept that you're so busy. How can you how can someone call that loud? Cuz someone call you lazy. You're so busy. I'm running 18 hours a day. What the hell is this guy talking about? Well, because laziness all laziness is is an ego siphoning off energy from that which it does not want you to do laziness is never passive This is next time, next time you find yourself procrastinating or you find yourself sitting in front of the TV or in front of YouTube, watching another YouTube video instead of doing what you know you should be doing, but you're just too lazy to do. So you find something else to do and then something pops into your mind. Oh, you know what I need to do? I need to clean the house or, oh, you know what? I forgot to pick up the laundry. And then all of a sudden you're jumping in the car and going and picking up laundry or you do, you're doing something else, right? You're doing something else. You're not doing what you should be doing. That's laziness. So it's just like pride. It doesn't care if you love yourself too much or you hate yourself. Laziness doesn't care if you're not doing anything. Laziness doesn't want to do nothing. Laziness just doesn't want to do what your innermost wants you to do. Laziness just wants to do wants you to do something anything that it can get you to do. Watching TV, playing video games, taking a nap, calling your friend on the phone doing facebook like we don't have to we don't have to come up with a list for you you know the list you have the list and your list might include a billion and other a billion and and other a billion and one other things okay that your list might include a ton of other things and while you're doing them And you might have one of those planners, those day planners that have all the little time slots filled up, showing how busy you are. I'm not lazy. Look at all this stuff I've done. Look at all this stuff I have to do. Okay. But if all that stuff keeps you from observing yourself, remembering yourself, meditating, doing the work, being, you're so busy doing, you don't have time for being, that's laziness. To be or not to be. All egos are trying to get us to not be. They're trying to get us to do. Do, 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 do. Me, 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 me. I, 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 I. Or them, 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 them. them. It's all their fault. It's always a deflection. It's always a distraction. It's always something. It's always misdirection. And laziness. In terms of this is another one of those clever morphing things because normally we think of laziness as some couch potato sitting on a couch, right, smoking weed or you know whatever, flipping channels on the TV or playing a video game, uh, you know, in a half zombie state. And yeah, that could that that's laziness too. But it's not doing nothing. It's not doing nothing. Because if you were actually doing nothing, you could meditate. Laziness can't have that. Laziness can't let you do that. So it has to occupy your you with something. Something. Observe that next time you don't feel like doing something. And observe the fact that when you don't feel like doing something, you can't just sit and do nothing. You can't. You'll be amazed. You'll be amazed. When you really start to observe your your laziness and you realize how active it is, you'll be amazed. Uh, Benjamin says, thank you for exposing these things. It's a uh, really time that people knew these. it is and you know what F- for the better part of this uh, today's live stream we only had like four or five people tuning in so it just goes to show you uh, how much people need to know this and how much they then how much they don't want to know right? they just don't um, as Azul says, mystical pride really likes to slip in through the gaps. When we recount an objective experience, it then becomes like something, uh, like something vomit when the experience is flavored by that ego. Yeah. So if we're understanding uh, Azazil's Azil's uh, comment here, if someone boasts about an experience they've had. Like, and and it's clear they're proud of that experience. And it's clear that they're taking credit for that experience with their I. I'm so special. I had this experience. Then, yeah, the experience is flavored by that and now any hope of someone gaining some benefit from that experience is gone because either a they see right through your pride and they just know that you're just boasting about the experience and they might they, they can no longer take your experience seriously or b they're taken in by your mystic pride because you've activated their mystic pride and they too want that experience and they too want to feel important and they too want to feel proud and so maybe they'll 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 uh react by telling you a story of their experience and if you've ever listened to people in this dynamic or online you'll notice that people are always trying to one-up one another with their experiences Oh yeah. Yeah. Like you tell them, Oh yeah, this happened to me in the astral plane. Oh yeah, I've done that a million times in the astral plane, but you know, have you done this in the astral plane? And Oh yeah. Oh no. You know, it's like someone says, Oh, I met the archangel, uh, uh, Raphael. Oh, archangel Raphael. Oh, very impressive. You know, I met the archangel Gabriel and you know, this kind of, this type of stuff. (laughs) It's like, it's like, um, um, you know when guys talk about cars, and they talk about how much horsepower and torque their cars have. Oh yeah, it's got three hundred horsepower. Oh, Oh, three hundred horsepower, impressive. Yeah, mine's got three hundred eh. and fifty horsepower. it's like it's it's this stupid posturing, right? It's just it's it's just, it's just it's just um. Yeah, it is what it is, right? It's just it's just um yeah posturing and strutting around strutting stuff like women on the red carpet or whatever right the funny thing is, is you know that women don't dress up for men right you know that women don't buy fancy clothes and dress up for for men they dress up for other women it's a fact women w- women preen themselves and everything else and go out when you go out on the red carpet or whatever They don't care if a single man sees them that night. They don't don't care at all. What they want to do is they want to show all the other women how it's it's done. This is how it's really done. Pride, narcissism. Come on. It's the same with mystic pride. No difference. No different. No different. So who has the... uh... New age people that who has the most who has the most crystals? <laughs> you see, you actually have these things, right? These influencers, these are so-called spiritual influencers. And in the background, it's like watching um it's like watching those uh those geeks, those uh cultural um uh uh pundits, the ones that do all the uh the geek channels, and they they do their videos in their man cave and behind them they have all of their toys. All of their Star Wars figures, their comic books, and their video collection, and and it's like and their neon lights and their you know 12-inch tall xenomorph and Iron Man, and they have all their toys and all their collectibles right behind them. And it's like the whole the whole gag is that all of these influencers, they have to try to impress their viewers by showing their viewers that they are they are that much bigger a geek and bigger a fan than the other guy because look at my man cave (laughs) and it's and it's it's like that it's like it's posture it's showing off it's showing off and it's and yeah it's just like all pride it's a projected it's that projection and trying to get people trying to impress other people based on whatever it is that you're trying to you know, project. Understanding, of course, like we talked about, that the flip side of that is shame and that inadequacy. So feelings of, oh, my 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 man cave isn't good enough. Oh, that guy he has he has ten thousand comics. I my collection I only have eight thousand. Right. So there's, there's always that like that inadequacy thing that pride can can play with us. So we're trying. So on the one hand, we're trying to constantly impress other people because secretly, when nobody else is around, we feel bad about ourselves. <laughs> and mystic pride plays that same game because you can have mystic shame. Oh, all these other people have been going on the astral plane and they have all these other experiences in the astral plane, and I can't even project into the astral plane. I must not be spiritual enough. I must not be good enough. You know what? Meditate on your egos, work on your discernment, observe yourself. The path of spirituality is radical humility. Let everybody else brag about what they're able to do on the astral plane. That does not concern you. That has absolutely nothing to do with your path. And it says absolutely nothing about how awake or not awake you are. It really doesn't. It really doesn't. There's a million other one factors that come into play and there are people who can who can uh project themselves into the astral plane on demand and yet these are some of the most narcissistic god-awful self-righteous self-obsessed and and go nowhere spiritual people you've ever met they're the most unspiritual people you've ever met but they can project into the astral plane at will so don't allow yourself to fall into that trap of mystic shame because it's the same thing as mystic pride, only it's morphing according to circumstances. Any other comments or questions before we sign off for today? Thank you all for joining us. And um, and by all means, YouTube is available to you There are countless countless videos and documentaries series that you can watch on uh, octopi and cephalopods (laughs) so if you if you would like some more visualizations of what these things can do and if that helps if that allegory helps uh, to as you meditate on your ego and as you observe yourself in your life and observe these egos morphing um, from one thing to another as they seek to evade yes but also uh as they predate right remember they're predators they're predators so hopefully hopefully all this has been helpful to you to help you spot them and help you hunt them and help defend yourself against them if there are no other questions we want to uh thank you for coming out and joining us, as always, you are always most welcome. Um, remember, if you can, before or after, to always uh, like and subscribe and share and do all that good stuff. Um, and you're welcome, Awaken Reflections. You're almost you're always welcome. Thank you for being here. With that, I think that we will uh, say goodbye, and as always, our uh, greeting, Inverential Peace. See you all next week.